Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The high turnover of chief diversity officers. I was just reading an article in the Wall Street Journal that was talking about how hard it is for organizations to keep their chief diversity officers. And the biggest reason that chief diversity officers are leaving their jobs is because they can't get the right resources in order to do their jobs well. And I was thinking about one of the solutions for this, and one of the things that I work with organizations on, is bringing their DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, into alignment with their mission, vision, and values. Because when your diversity work is connected to your organization at the level of its mission and values, it's way easier to get the resources that those efforts, those diversity efforts need in order to be successful. And why was I thinking about all of this? I was thinking about this issue of alignment and how things don't work when they're out of alignment, which brings me right to our guest for today. David Aronson believes that there is an issue with the way that marketing is evaluated. He believes that usually the way that marketing, that it's really decided about whether or not a marketing effort is successful or not, is based on the number and quality of leads, and that that's exactly the wrong metric. Instead, David encourages organizations to evaluate marketing based on the profitability of the sales generated. He founded his company, which is called Marketing Inbound, based on this principle, and he works with his clients to increase their sales, revenue, and profitability by bringing sales and marketing into alignment. What he's found is that in many companies, several of these out of alignment issues and several of the possibilities of in alignment issues have been hidden right there in plain sight. How often does that happen? So with that, welcome, David. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. And just one, I have to make one small correction. The name of the company is Digital Inbound. Sorry. Yes. Digital Inbound, not Marketing Inbound. Digital Inbound. Okay. So I'm going to begin the way that I often begin, which is what is something that you have become aware of that you or others weren't paying attention to 
either intentionally or unintentionally. And what has been the cost of that not paying attention? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a big, long list, but we don't have all day. So what's one thing that's on your mind? One thing that's on my mind is things that my the companies that I deal with in my business don't do and don't notice. And that's they don't notice exactly who they're selling to. They don't recognize the proper person that they're selling to, and therefore their messaging is off. Messaging is off. They're not doing the best job that they can do marketing. So that's what I, I notice constantly, and I'm constantly trying to refocus, realign yes. those customers on their customers. Properly. I love that. And so when you say that we're not marketing to the right customer, we don't have the right customer in our head when we're thinking about marketing, then how can we realign that? How can we get more, in addition to hiring your company, digital inbound, how can we get better about aligning that? So some things are easy and some things are a little bit more difficult and you have to really truly refocus. So I'll give you Mm -hmm. two examples. One example is a company that did uh, refurbished uh, garages Simple business. Their website, when we took over the account, had pictures of men in their garages, sometimes with cars, sometimes with workbenches. And we were doing some campaigns for them, and we thought we could make the campaigns better. And we asked them if we could interview some of their satisfied clients. They had done interviews of their satisfied clients, and we said, you know, we want to talk to clients that are really happy with your work, and just get some input. Now, we had an ulterior motive in mind that you might be able to begin to surmise. Um, So we talked to, uh, you know, four customers, all of them uh, married or had uh, some sort of uh, opposite sex spouses. And indeed, the decision to do the garage refurbished, 85% of the time, the woman was very much involved and sometimes predominantly involved. What we asked them to do, just take all these pictures on the site, Get some new pictures if you want, you know, we'll create the pictures for you. Or if you have them in your storehouse of pictures, and let's just change about half the pictures and put (laughs) women in the pictures. Because when someone comes to a site, they want to see themselves on the site. And if they see themselves, then they're more likely to buy. So we changed 50% of the pictures. Within a week, we had 20% more leads coming from the site. Wow. It was just that simple. And it was just, it was a narrow focus. They were men. That created the company. And so men in cars and garages seemed like a perfect <laughs> match to them. And it was to some degree, they missed out on a whole buyer that was very important in a decision. It's sometimes we see what we think we see and we think that's all that needs to be seen. And mm. Sometimes we just need to widen our glaze and then we can see everything that we need to see. Now I've got another example. This is a financial services firm, and they were selling to the end users. And actually, as a financial services firm, they ran several funds, very, very successful funds, and they protect against the downside loss and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. But they wanted a new website. And I said, well, let's take a look at who this website should be for. Who could you be selling to? And I had them go through an exercise of creating buyer personas, creating who is the buyer, what's their pain, what's their challenges, what's their goal. And how would you speak to them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out they came up with four separate buyer personas, three that they weren't currently selling to at all, and one that they were, which is the end user consumer. 
we went through an exercise of how difficult is it to get to the end user consumer and what would you be selling them? Mm -hmm. And they had another buyer persona and those were small wealth managers that had a cadre of end users who came to them to get advice on how to invest their money. And as we walked through the exercise, I could see actual light bulbs going off in their eyeballs. Uh -huh. right. There's less of these people. They're better well-defined. They all actually have their funds and money at the same company. In this case, it was Schwab. So right. it'd be easy to integrate with them. And they actually go after the end users. And it's a lot more expensive to go after end users than be a B2B business, which is what they've now become. We're now rebuilding their website with that focus in mind. And I think it's going to be a lot easier for them to make all their sales goals and practically exceed them because they're actually selling to people who effectively sell to what used to be their end user customers. But it's now an entirely different buyer persona. It's easier to communicate to them. You know their goals and challenges better and easier. They're more focused and more niche focused you can be in your marketing, the better your marketing will be. One of the things that I say is not just things are hidden in plain sight, but there's marketing. I can email. I can buy a list as an example, email to that list. That is marketing. Good marketing. It's not effective marketing, but it's marketing. But it is marketing. Okay. I can create, you know, anyone who creates a Google AdWords campaign is marketing. Right. But that doesn't mean that the Google AdWords campaign is set up properly or is directed to the right buyer persona. We can do better marketing. So there's marketing and there's lots of people that do marketing. Very few people, unfortunately, align with their buyer personas and what their product is and create better marketing. I love it. And in case any of our listeners don't know what B2B is, that's business to business. So instead of direct marketing to consumers, which is often called B2C, so business to consumer, I am going to purchase a lipstick and Maybelline is going to market to me, I, business to consumer. This is business to business. So then the business would be the one who is hiring this financial Correct. services company. Correct. So when we think about this idea of buyer persona, I love this concept in terms of getting it more into our frame our mindset around really who is who is purchasing our products or who is purchasing our services or you know i mean i was having a conversation at a fundraising event the other day and i was talking with somebody who was in sales and we got into talking about how much of our life no matter who we are what we do we're actually selling somebody on something I sell my husband on, I think we need to, you know, switch our toothpaste. We sell all the time as humans. So talk to me more about this buyer persona idea, because I think this is, I think you're really onto something here. This is the single most important part of marketing. Besides the pro having a product to sell, <laughs> the next most important thing is who's going to buy this? Yes. And we need to talk about it in emotional terms, not in rational terms, because mm -hmm. it's emotions is how we purchase things. So. I need to know in terms of the buyer, what are your pains? What's painful for you? What's irritating you? What are your challenges? You know, there are things that you want to do and your challenge to get them done and accomplished. You've set for yourself goals. What are those goals? If I know those things about you, 
And I have a product that satisfies your pain, alleviates your pain, or helps you get to the challenge and deal with the challenge that you currently have, or helps you succeed in meeting your goals, you will buy my product. It's it's really that simple. And very few companies really take a look at buyer personas. But when I teach my digital marketing class at UCLA Extension, the first class I give an overview, and then we start talking about buyer personas. Mm. In the overview, there's a large section on buyer personas. That's like the first half of the class. The second half of the class is, we're now going to talk about buyer personas. They haven't (laughs) even chosen their product yet. The course exercise is to create a marketing plan for a product. They haven't even even found their product that they're going to market. And I start talking to them about buyer personas and how they need to define buyer personas. And a buyer persona is sort of like a magical person that is the perfect customer for their product. And why is it the perfect customer for their product? Because it eases their pain or helps them achieve their challenge or help them make their goals. Because all of those things are emotional and are going to make that person feel better. I was talking on a group Zoom with a bunch of advertising executives recently, and they were saying, you know, I feel like I kind of need to apologize because I have mostly spent my whole life making you feel bad about yourself so that you will buy buy my product. And yes, and they were lovely and gracious and did apologize for making me feel bad about myself. But they kept doing it. But they kept doing it. And most of these, several of these gentlemen were retired. It was a very interesting group of current, it was kind of mentors Mm -hmm. and their mentees. And a lot of the mentors uh, have retired. It was kind of a lovely moment. And all of the mentees are continuing to make me feel bad. Thank you very much. And it's such an interesting lens to look through. 150 years ago, when I was young, my first real training after college was as a grassroots community organizer. And I was actually lucky enough to be trained by the person who had trained Cesar Chavez. And his sort of core line was forget all the numbers and statistics about whatever it is that you're talking about. And remember the story that impacted you that had you want to work on this issue. And so often we get into our heads or we need, we feel like we need to prove something to somebody else about how smart we are or how on it we are or how, you know, how much research we've done about this. And really, if we tell them a story and we impact their heart, mm-hmm. that's then what's going to move them. Yep. Towards whatever we whatever we're interested in. I'll give you a contemporary one. Please. So right, right now, I am adamant about doing things about the environment. I've driven an electric car for seven years. I'm now I am absolutely focusing on not using single-use plastic. It's very difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. It really is very difficult. Now that seems like, well, gee, obviously David understands that climate change is real and I'm worried about my grandchildren. Right. What's driving me, now I, I know all that stuff. And yes, we are destroying the earth and blah, 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 blah. I'm doing this because I see my grandchildren, my beautiful, wonderful grandchildren. And I'm going, what kind of a world am I leaving them? What can I do to make their future, to ensure that they have a world to live right. in? All right? right? That's not based on facts. That's my emotion, pure and right. simple. 
Yep. I love that. I am among the many other things that I am. I'm a scuba diver and that experience of being in the ocean and being in something that is so much bigger and so much more powerful than we are. And that sense of perspective, I think I I learned how to scuba dive when I was also the chief operating officer for the Coalition for Clean Air uh, because I spent the first 19 years of my life working for nonprofit organizations. And and so that sense of the world and our both our smallness in it and our large ability to impact it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you just take your finger and you touch a piece of coral that coral is now dead where you touched it. Like we have such an ability to impact the world, both positively and negatively, and really understanding that and then having something emotional that connects us to that and has us want, has us need to make a a more positive impact. Relieves our pain. Relieves our pain. We are pained about it and it relieves our pain. I'm doing something. Yes. There's this massive, what could I do? I can at least say I'm doing something. Right. And maybe I can get some others to do it and who knows how many, maybe, you know, anyway. Right. And they tell two people and they tell two people and so on. It's back to marketing. (laughs) And I want them to feel the pain too. Right. So that do this and you'll feel better about the pain. And thinking about your grandchildren. So I don't yet have grandchildren. And I love the little people. Anytime I see a little person, I want to interact. And because of the symmetry of my face, they like me and often want to interact with me. And so that emotional connection to your specific grandchildren, to for me, to all the little cherubs out there, makes me want to ensure that their planet mm-hmm. is, is taken care of and ensure that other pieces of their world are taken care of, which is also part of why you and I do the work that you and I yep. uh, separately do. So I'm often asked, you know, who was my ideal client? And I can sometimes get hung up in thinking about that. Like I can go too into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would you encourage someone to start if they've never thought about this? And, you know, whether you're thinking about it as business owner or as a marketing mm-hmm. executive or as a spouse or as uh, the parent of a child, you know, as, yeah. as I said earlier, we are always selling and marketing. How can we think strategically about that? Excellent question. Thank and you. There's an easy answer. The easy answer is, so whatever it is you do, how does that help the person who purchases those services? Mm-hmm. Ways does it help that person? Does that person have challenges that your product and service helps them with? Does that person have some pain that your product or service helps them with? Are there some goals in their either personal life or in their working life that they have that your product or service can help them attain? If the answer is yes, you're selling to the right person. If the answer is no, you're wasting your time. <laughs> and then once you identify the kind of pain, the kind of challenges, the kind of goals yep. right, that the person needs to have. Then you go around. So what people have it? Is that the vice president of HR? Is that the CFO? Is that the data operator? Is that you know, who in the organization? Now you can focus on, ah, so maybe it's everybody in the HR department. 
I, I, you know, if I talk to somebody who's not in the HR department about my product and service, I'm wasting my time. Right. I'm not talking to my buyer. And so if we're looking at an organization, sometimes the people that we are talking to have the pain, but they're not in a purchasing position. Uh, and and so how do we help empower the people who have the pain but don't have the purchasing power? How do we help them motivate the people with the purchasing power who may not also have the pain? So you need to explain how your answer will create more efficiency and effectiveness that can be turned into dollars. So if you service my pain, if you solve mm -hmm. my pain, solve my challenge, you will make for the company X dollars because you'll increase productivity, it'll increase, in, increase effectiveness, et cetera. Awesome. I love it. I, I think that's often, you know, some often in a, in a casual situation, I'll have people who are talking with me about their organizational pain or the pain that they have mm -hmm. in their, in their organization. Sometimes it's a educational institution and, you know, they're a professor. Yeah. They don't have the ability to hire me, but they certainly get what the dysfunction is in the organization. And so they often struggle with, with what do we do with that now? So mm -hmm. I love that concept. If you had a magic wand, David, and you could have people pay attention to one thing, either something that we've been talking about or something else, what would it be and why? So within a business environment, what needs to be paid attention to is the integration of different departments that touch each other. So, and the ones that I deal with the most, but I've seen it prevalent in other organizations that should be close, but, but aren't, is sales and marketing. Yep. And sales and marketing departments often are screaming at each other. We have statistics that show that we can improve the profitability of a company, the whole profitability of a company, if we can get sales and marketing to talk to each other. And just think about the inefficiencies of both marketing and sales if they're not in sync. Right. All right. And so this, the same kind of thing, you know, if the payroll department uh, is not in sync with the HR department, although mm -hmm. it should be because it's underneath, <laughs> if there's, you know, if there's fights, no, don't let them change their record this way. They got to change right. it that way. And there's that, it, again, you're creating friction within the organization. If you get rid of that friction, there will be more profitability within the entire organization. That works Wonderful. Anytime. So yeah, so it's back to this idea of alignment. And yep. so we really want to ensure that our sales team and our marketing team are connected, are communicating, are interacting well. And if we can really have them, you know, the idea of cross-functional teams is mm -hmm. becoming more and more common and less siloed organizations yep. where you have people working together on projects, you know, I think is a much more often effective way to go. And it seems yep. synergistic with what you're talking about. Yep. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sales organizations. There's salespeople there. Right. And salespeople ought to be the highest paid people in the company. So, Making them more effective gives a, um, a a better amount of money to the bottom line than working with any other work within your organization. So if we make salespeople more effective, we say literally save money for the company. And there's lots of ways that we can make the salesperson more uh, uh, more profitable. Just because the salesperson is selling doesn't mean they're selling well. Yeah. 
So if we can get them to sell better, to sell better in coordination with the marketing department, if the marketing department has a buyer persona that they've kept a secret and they're creating stuff for that buyer persona <laughs> and the sales department is selling to a different buyer persona, right? then the, the, the information fed is going to the wrong person. They're not going to sell as much. If we can get them court, hey, sales department, tell us more about how you want this person qualified. And there's cooperation. I've now created effectiveness on the sales department, and that's going to affect my bottom line. Absolutely. And the more the more engagement we can have, the more communication we can have, the more synergy we can have, the more right. alignment we can have, the more engaged everyone is going to be, the more excited everybody's going right. to be about what they're doing. Bottom line profits are the end result of all of that. Yes. And we, we actually get in some cases to a written service level agreement between the marketing department and the sales department. You know, marketing, okay, we're gonna we can we can do 10 leads a week or whatever the number is mm -hmm. with these qualifications. Sales department, you have to promise. <laughs> you, need to, you need to call that lead within X number of hours and follow up with email within the next number of direct. If you don't, don't yell at us. Right. And the sales department says, okay, we'll do that. But you know, we don't want them qualified here. We want them qualified on this. And we don't want them qualified on that. We want to qualify. And if you do that, then we'll do all this other stuff. Great. Let's write that down. Agree to it. You go. It's, it's, it's not difficult, but they do have to talk civilly to each other in order to get it done. Right? I mean, there's so many things that are not difficult, but can be hard. And yeah. so getting that communication going so that everyone can be coming from it from a good place, from positivity, from assumption of positive intent, uh, then we all have the opportunity to move forward happily. Is there anything that, that I haven't asked you yet that you would love for people to know or to be thinking about or, you know, a question that you want to leave people with or any way that you would like to begin to wrap this up today? Yes. Yeah, so all marketers think that we're brilliant and think that we have the marketing answer. And in reality, none of us do. Behind the scenes, our biggest method that we use constantly is testing. Hmm. And I would say most companies don't test enough. They, you know, well, our salespeople have been selling like that for, you know, whatever. 20 years. Well, let's, tr let's take two salespeople and let's try something different. See if it works. All right. Let's take one salesperson to have to do one thing and another salesperson do another thing. And all the other six salesperson do what they're always doing. Maybe there's a better way. And the fact of the matter is there's always a better way. Right. A good marketing person never stops testing. I love it. And I love this. I love that as like an idea for life, actually. Yeah. You know, never stop trying out new stuff. Never stop looking for a better way. Never think that you know all the answers or, you know, you've got it all handled because we are all works in progress. And, you know, I don't know it all. You don't know it all. So let's try it out. And one of the things that I keep reminding myself is that, you know, the smartest people that I know ask for help. 
They ask for support. They look to their resources. And so often we humans can get stuck in like, no, 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 I don't want to, you know, I don't want to show my vulnerability or I don't want to come off as less than, you know, like, no, lean in. Let's lean into each other. Let's lean into our resources. Let's go to our trusted advisors and ask for help and support and and just like, hey, can I pick your brain for a second? Right. I mean, there's there's no greater compliment that somebody can give me than like, hey, I have something I've been thinking about and I thought that you might be able to help me. It's lovely. Yep. So David, thank you You're so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your love of your grandchildren, for your great ideas around alignment and around leaning in. This has been really fun today. I enjoyed it too. Thank you very much. Awesome. It's been my pleasure. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think